You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break from Daniel today. We're almost done with Daniel, uh, but we're taking a break from uh, that almost finished study in the Old Testament. We're going to look in Mark's gospel today and look at one particular episode in Jesus' ministry that's actually recorded by uh, all three of the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell this uh, tell about this event. Uh, and this event reveals a lot about Jesus, and it reveals a lot about you and me. Uh, the text is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, it's printed for you in the bulletin, and you can follow the reading there. It's such a short reading, and uh, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand for the reading of the gospel. Mark 10, beginning at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our spiritual eyes to see and understand um, the truths, truths about you and the truths about ourselves that we see here. Uh, give us humility to accept these truths and to live by them. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've always been intrigued by this teaching of Jesus. Um, and, and that's because I've, I've tried most of my life to be so grown up. Right? So adult, so mature. And Jesus comes along and encourages us to be like children. Uh, it's, it's intriguing. It's countercultural. So what I want to do is look at three facts that are revealed about Jesus here that not only tell us about Jesus, but in the process, tell us about ourselves. We're going to look at the anger of Jesus. We're going to look at the surprise of Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look at the serious grace of Jesus. So it's the anger of Jesus, the surprise of Jesus, and then the serious grace of Jesus. First, the anger. So um, some people were bringing their children to Jesus. Think little children, right? Um, Mark uses the, the general Greek word for children, but in Luke's account, Luke gives us a, a, a more interesting detail, uses a more precise word that means infants, so we're talking probably mostly about very little children, young children. And in the final pronoun here in verse 13, where it says the disciples rebuked them, the them there, uh, in, you know, in English, we can't tell if that's referring to men, women, both. Uh, in Greek, it's, 
it's um, masculine. That's a masculine uh, pronoun. So this, uh, the picture here is unlike how it off, the, this event often gets depicted, which, uh, is, uh, w- which we consists of mothers bringing their babies. Uh, Mark suggests here that it was fathers. Um, maybe it was just fathers. Maybe it was a mixed audience. But clearly some fathers were bringing their infant children uh, to Jesus so that he could bless them. And what were they met with? They were met with the disciples, right, the 12, rebuking them. Another strong word, um, really meaning standing in the way, preventing, avoiding. Uh, you know, they, were, they stood in the way of them coming, bringing their kids to Jesus, prevented them from bringing their kids to Jesus. And that's what made Jesus angry. And he is really angry here. Uh, this is, I, it, you know, some of us don't like to imagine Jesus is angry, but he got angry. Uh, it says he was indignant. And it's this very strong word that, 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 that the idea is it's an aroused anger at the perception of a wrong. Right? So Jesus is, has, has become angry. His anger has been aroused because he perceives that the disciples have done something seriously wrong. Okay? I don't know about you. I, I tend to flatten my perceptions of Jesus as I, as I read the Gospels. Um, you know, it, it, uh, as I'm reading it, it all kind of blends into monotone. But Jesus was anything but monotone, right? Jesus was, was full of personality. He expressed emotion frequently, sometimes strong emotions, here anger. Although, of course, the difference with Jesus is that his expressions of emotion were always without sin. Mine are frequently with sin, right? It's, it's the emotional outbursts that get me into trouble, um, the, 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 the anger might be justified. The reaction often is sinfully not justifiable. Right? But uh, that's not Jesus. Jesus' anger was uh, righteous. It wasn't sinful. And his expression of it wasn't sinful either. So, so we've got a very angry Jesus, and we have to ask why. I mean, what, what, what was the big deal about these children? Why was he so angry that... Uh, the disciples prevented these little babies from uh, coming to him. Uh, well, to answer that question, we have to go to the second point, uh, which is the surprise of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking here about Jesus being surprised. I'm talking about Jesus surprising us. And to get at how he surprises us here, let, let me tell you about some American soldiers who... Uh, uh, in World War II, who were engaged in combat in the French countryside. Uh, their unit came uh, under fire, and after uh, one particularly intense battle, one of the American soldiers uh, in the unit was killed. Uh, his buddies didn't want to leave his body on the field, uh, and remembering a little church uh, several miles away down the road that had a small cemetery uh, connected to it, surrounded by a white fence, uh, they decided to give their buddy, if they could do it, uh, a Christian burial. And so they got the, uh, their, uh, the permission of their officers to, 
take uh, the body of their friend to the church uh, for this burial. Uh, they, the, these guys knocked on the door. It was now the end of the day. Uh, knocked on the door. An old priest uh, answers, bent over, uh, and they explain, our friend was killed in battle. We want to give him... Um, We want to give him a Christian burial. But the old priest replied, "Um, I'm so sorry. He says, we can only bury those uh, of the same faith here. Right? You had to be Roman Catholic to be buried in the grounds. Um, And this dead soldier was not a Roman Catholic. Um, His friends, these war, now war-weary soldiers, discouraged, uh, just turned around uh, and uh, started to to leave, but the uh, as as they were walking away, the priest, the old priest, called out and he said, "You know, you you don't have to take him all the way back." He said, "You know, you can you can bury him here outside the fence. That would be okay." And, and cynical now and exhausted, these soldiers uh, now in the dark dug a grave outside the fence, buried their friend. Returned to their unit. The next day, their unit moved out, and uh, the same soldiers swung by the church to pay their respects to their uh, dead friend one last time. But strangely, they couldn't find the place where they had buried him. They were looking all around, couldn't find it. Uh, They were rushed, of course. Uh, They were tired, uh, and they were increasingly confused. So finally, they knocked on the church door one more time, same old priest answers the door and they said, hey, we can't find where we buried our friend. Can you show us where we did that? It, they, it was really dark last night. We were exhausted, must have been disoriented. It's not, he's not where we thought he, he was. Uh, there was a pause and the old priest looked at him and he smiled and he said, you know, after you left last night, I couldn't sleep. So I went outside early this morning and I moved the fence. Isn't that a great story? Move the fence. You see, that's the, the priest had initially done something like what the disciples were doing. The disciples were, in effect, fencing Jesus' grace. Sometimes we do that. The disciples presumed that, uh, that these infants were not, uh, were not as important to Jesus as adults, that they weren't critical to, uh, they weren't mission critical for Jesus. Uh, so they decided uh, on their own to fence these infants from the grace of Jesus. But this is where Jesus surprises us. This is where Jesus may make us even a little uncomfortable because what Jesus does is move the fence. Look what he says in verse 14. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now that's a remarkable statement. right? In effect, what Jesus is saying, I'm the king in the kingdom of God. That means that I and my kingdom belong to these very children that you've been hindering. And every children child like them. The kingdom belongs to them. Speaking specifically of the, of the children that were brought to 
Jesus. Well, what was special about those children? Who are these children, right? Well, again, think about the context. These are children of believers in Jesus. Now, these believing parents did not have sophisticated faith. They didn't have fully formed faith. They knew very little. They didn't know nearly as much as what you Christians know. But these parents did have enough faith to bring their children in public to Jesus for his blessing. And that was enough for Jesus. You see, Jesus' grace to believers, even believers whose faith is imperfect, whose faith is as small as a mustard seed, Jesus' grace is wide enough to embrace those believers and their children. I hope this encourages the heart of every parent here. Now, of course, we know, um, and, you know, the theologically correct among you are, are going to remind me, well, Ted, don't, we know that this doesn't mean Jesus couldn't be teaching that you know, the children of believers are somehow automatically uh, granted salvation. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll grant that our children can ultimately forfeit this blessing, right, by the, by the, by the settle, by their settled disobedience of unbelief. But I don't want you to let the, let that truth blunt the beauty of their blessing. The blessing that they have, your children have as, as your children, as, because you're a, you're believing parents, right? The kingdom of God belongs to your children. That's what Jesus said. That's an incredible blessing. Right? He's, he's moved the fence. It's wider than we think it is, his grace. Um, which gets us to that third topic, right? Uh, the serious grace of Jesus. And it's in this final sort of teaching of Jesus in this little passage where the, the teaching becomes wider, it becomes broader, and it actually shows us that Jesus doesn't actually just move the fence, he blows it down. Verse 15, Jesus goes on to say, um, and, it's, and it's, uh, uh, it begins with, truly, truly, I say unto you, or however it says, in, in, in uh, Hebrew and Greek, it's amen, amen, I say to you. And when Jesus starts something with amen, it means pay attention. Uh, what's coming is, um, is, is important. So important, I'm giving it the amen beforehand. Um, and, uh, and then he says, whoever, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, that's a, that's a double-edged statement, isn't it? Um, it's, that's why I call this serious grace. Uh, Jesus expresses a, a wonderfully positive truth in, in the negative here. But there, so there's, there's, a, there's a wonderful positive truth here, and there's a sobering warning here, right? On the one hand, Jesus is saying, 
Look at anybody can be in my kingdom. Anybody can be a citizen in my kingdom because all that's required is that you receive it like a child. That's it. That's open to anybody. On the other hand, Jesus is saying, but you can miss my kingdom. You can, you can miss it. How? If you try to enter it, if you try to gain it, uh, like an adult. Which is, this is why I was intrigued by this passage. And a little daunted by it. Because, like I say, you know, I pride myself in being an adult. I pride myself in, you know, in in acting like an adult. And because the world and the culture where we live influences us to be adult-like, not childlike. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? This is what we have to do. It's important to know what it means. Well, Think about it. And remember, think, think in terms of very young children, infants. You know, a, a child is unable to provide for herself, right, or himself, what it, what is, what it needs, right? Utterly unable, totally, a child is totally unable to provide for itself, Therefore, that also means that a child is utterly dependent on, on one outside, typically a parent, right, uh, for what it needs to live and what it needs to thrive. The only thing a child can do, right, uh, is receive what it cannot earn, receive what it cannot produce for itself. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, a child can also poop. Okay. I'll grant you that. But look, basically a child is not in a position like an adult to, to, to earn something. Not in a position to build a resume. All an infant can do is, is nothing. It is just receive from a parent uh, what it needs. Um, I read, in, in, as I was preparing for the sermon, I read a, a story about a, a young boy who finally wore his parents down uh, uh, asking for a puppy. And they, fi- they finally relented and said, yes, you can get a puppy. He, he was he, you know, bargaining. He said, look, I'll buy it with my own money. I've saved up my allowance. And they said, fine, okay, you can, you can buy the puppy. And so... Once he got that permission, this, this boy excitedly made his way to the pet store, this pet store that he would pass every day on his way to and from school, where he had been looking at a window full of uh, cute little puppies. The pet store owner, seeing a little kid come in first, makes sure that he has the money, right? Let me see your money. <laughs> and counts the kid's money. He says, yep, you've got enough money for one of those puppies. And then he, he takes the boy over to the display uh, to, uh, to have him choose the puppy he wanted. And the boy stood there and watched the puppies for a long time and just studying them. Uh, and, and, and finally, he, he tells the owner, um, I think I'll take the little one in the corner. 
Uh, and instantly the, uh, the, the, uh, the owner looks over, sees the one he's pointing to, and he goes, oh, no, 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 you don't want that one. There's something wrong with that one. Look, see, he's just sitting there. That's all he does. He just sits there. Something's wrong with one of his legs. He can't run uh, and play like the other puppies. Uh, so choose, choose another one. And this boy, without saying a word, uh, lifted his pant leg to expose a chrome brace to the owner. And he said, no, I'll take the one in the corner. You see, it turned out that what disqualified the puppy from being chosen by everybody else is what most qualified it to be chosen by that boy. And that's exactly how it is with Jesus and you and me. We are next to Jesus uh, like infants, weak, helpless, utterly dependent. We can't be good enough to earn anything from him. In fact, we continue to fall short every day of what he requires uh, of his creatures. Uh, We don't have what he requires. We can't produce it. Uh, and, And, you know... In addition to all that spiritual lack, which is the most important, we most of us also lack the, the things of the world, the things that the world values so much, right? Fame, you know, drop-dead beauty, uh, popularity, wealth, status, power. But what Jesus is communicating here is that all of this lack in you, all of this inability... All of this utter dependence is exactly what qualifies you in Jesus' eyes. It's exactly what qualifies you to receive God's kingdom, right? Not by merit, not by reward, but by gift, by the sheer, wonderful, breathtaking grace of the Lord. Jesus loves you. Just as you are in all of your inability and dependence and unworthiness and ordinariness, he loves you. He's chosen you. So the right way, friends, indeed the only way to receive the kingdom of God is to receive it with totally empty hands, from the nail-scarred hands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Mark makes this point even more clear by showing us the, op- the wrong way to do it. Mark was always doing this. Uh, the, uh, the theologians call, call it a Markan sandwich, right? He would, he would show you uh, the right way, Right, And then he would show you a couple of wrong ways. That's the meat of the sandwich. And then he'd put the last piece of bread on, which is going back to show you the right way again. And that's exactly what he does here in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a big mark and sandwich. Starting with the, the, the first lesson is if you want to receive the kingdom of God, you have to receive it like a little child. And then the very next episode shows us how not to receive it. What, what, what's that episode? It's Jesus encountering the rich young ruler. Right? The model adult. 
Right? He's, he's, he's got uh, lots of money, lots of spirituality, lots of attainment, uh, lots of personal holiness. He knows his Bible. He takes its commands seriously. Uh, he completely believes that he has, uh, uh, he has sufficiently obeyed God's laws. Uh, and he just wants to know, is there anything lacking? Just tell me, Jesus, what I need to do. If that's the adult speaking, Right? Don't tell me you're going to give it to me. Tell me what I need to do to earn it. And uh, so Jesus complies. Says, oh, okay. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Give, Give the money to the poor. Now, Jesus, of course, wasn't laying out a universal rule uh, for salvation. Jesus was targeting this guy's heart. And, and, and showing him how far off the mark he was, how little he was obeying God's law. He was, he was breaking the first command because why? He loved his money and he loved his possessions more than God. First command broken, right? Um, Jesus was showing him his, his utter inability to uh, get into the kingdom by himself, but this this young adult didn't want to hear it, so he walks. He makes history. He walks away from Jesus. The only one in the Gospels that uh, walks away from Jesus, rejecting his grace, uh, and sad as he walks away, uh, rejecting his gift. His hands are too full, too full of his own righteous supposed righteousness, too full of his own wealth, too full of his own self love too full of his notion of his own self-sufficiency. He's the model adult. And then right after that, if that's not enough to show you the wrong way, we, we get uh, the lesson from two of Jesus' own disciples, James and John, right? The sons of thunder. That's who we call James Kwok and John Kong. The sons of thunder. Thundering around here. Um... Right? They'd been arguing with the other disciples about who was the greatest. Uh, and they had decided, uh, actually, we are. Uh, we've, we've outperformed them all. Uh, we've done the best. Uh, we are the most holy, the most obedient. And therefore, we deserve the power and the position that comes with our work, uh, with our Holiness. Uh, we want the positions of power and prominence in Jesus' king, in your kingdom, Jesus. We, when, when you come into your kingdom, give us the seat at your right hand and at your left hand. And Jesus once again had to rebuke uh, his disciples, right? Telling him, look, it's not about power, it's not about position, it's not about performing, it's not about ruling, it's not about being super spiritual, it's about being humble, it's about being a servant, it's about realizing how dependent you are and how unable you are to, to save yourself. It's a hard lesson. And then chapter 10 closes out. You know, with that last piece of bread, which is again, it goes back to the right way to come into God's kingdom. And, 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 and we see it, uh, in, um, again, it's exactly like the, it's, it's a lived out picture of what it is to receive the kingdom like a child. And it's, and we see it in the example of blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, right? Um, 
Bartimaeus was acted just like a child. Right? There he is, and Jesus is coming into the town. Uh, he hears the crowd. He hears the people yelling. And he starts, he does what a, what, what a child, what does a child do? A child cries, right? Cries out. And he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's yelling, he's crying out. And the crowd gets, is getting angry. And they, they rebuke him. And they tell him to be quiet. Um, and uh, so parents, what do, your parent, what do your children do when they want something and you tell them to uh, stop crying and be quiet? What do they sometimes do? Cry all the more, right? Mine did. Right? And that's exactly what Bartimaeus did. Like a child, right? Cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and Jesus responded to the cry of the child, right? Came over, gave him his mercy, gave him his sight, and he gained the kingdom. This is a, you know, it's beautiful, but it's hard. It's, this is a hard lesson to learn. And I bet there are some people in here who aren't Christians who think this, this, this is just not, it's very hard to even understand, get your mind around. Um, because it really is goes so against the grain, doesn't it? Uh, everywhere you live, where you work, where you play, where you do sports, um, where you go to school, you know, it all works on the principle of, of, of merit and achievement, resume building, right? And we're, we're constantly being pulled into that way of thinking, that way of acting in virtually every area of our life. And so we start applying it to our relationship with the Lord. We start to think we can build a resume, that we can clean up for God, that we need to perform for Him if He's going to perform for us. C.S. Lewis recognized how, how hard it was to keep thinking that next to God you're, you're, you're just a little child. Um, he said it this way, he said, it's easy to acknowledge, but almost impossible to realize for long that we are only mirrors whose brightness, if we are bright, is wholly derived from the sun that shines upon us. Surely we must have a little, however little, native luminosity. You hear what Lewis is saying? Saying, it, we, okay, we can acknowledge that we're, we, we really, we're bringing nothing to the table. We're just a mirror. Any, any, any good in us, any brightness in us is wholly attributable to the fact that we're reflecting the, 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 the reality of, of, of the Lord. And he, and, but, but he's saying, you know, there's something in us that wants to, to, to not admit that. It, don't we have some native luminosity? Is, you know, don't I have, you know, with this little light of mine? And let it shine? Don't I contribute something to, to, to it? Uh, and Lewis says no. So does Philip Yancey in his book, The Scandal of Forgiveness. He says it's our destiny for now as fallen creatures made in God's image. It's our destiny for now to be imperfect, incomplete, weak, and mortal. And it's only by accepting that destiny that you and I in Christ 
escape our limitations, escape our lack, and receive grace and are drawn to God and come into His arms like the little children did here. And when we do that, Christian friends, you know, we ironically and surprisingly experience um, what Lewis described as as a, a as a joy in total dependence. That there's something joyful and freeing about finally realizing and acknowledging our total dependence upon the Lord. Uh, Lewis said that it ought to make each of us a jolly beggar. Christians are jolly beggars. And of course, this table shows us why we can have that joy in total dependence, right? Because this table shows you once again, preaches to you through the bread and the wine, that, uh, that Jesus has everything you lack, uh, and that Jesus did everything for you that you could not and cannot do for yourself. Uh, the bread and the wine drive home to you again, the perfectly lived life of Jesus for your account. The death of Jesus as your substitute, making full and complete satisfaction for all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt for all time, past, present, and future, drawing you near to him. And, and it points you to also to the reality of future resurrection. When your lack becomes fullness, when your imperfection becomes perfection, when your cup overflows. So friends, let's, uh, let's come to the table now. Let's listen to Jesus' invitation. And let's receive his kingdom like the little children we are next to him. And let's come in the joy of total dependence. Okay? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to come to your table now um, in total dependence, recognizing our dependence and our inability. Uh, Lord, thank you that you, you are the good parent who gives us all that we need. Um, may we trust in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.